Happy Monday, Liberty Lions. And before we get into today's show, which features a compilation of interviews I conducted at the recent Libertarian Party of California State Convention, I got to first tell you a little something about our sponsors, the North Spokane Hemp Company and their wide array of CBD products. And if you've ever used CBD for aches, pains, inflammation, insomnia, or anything at all, or if you've been thinking about giving it a shot, there's no better time to try it than right now through our deal with North Spokane Hemp Company. For less than one week, only about five more days through the end of February, listeners of this program can get 25%, 25%, a whole quarter of their order discounted by using discount code LIONS at checkout. And if you spend $50 or more, they're going to ship it for free. So you get free shipping and you get 25% off using discount code LIONS. You'd have to be off your darn rocker not to take advantage of this deal before it runs out. Again, that's the North Spokane Hemp Company at North Spokane, S-P-O-K-A-N-E, CBD.com. Don't forget to use discount code LIONS at checkout. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Howdy, howdy, and welcome back to another flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. 440 episodes. Can you believe that? Is that a milestone? It feels like it should be. I don't know. 440. Just kind of rolls off the tongue. Feels good. Anyway, I'm happy to be here. 440 episodes later. Many, many more if you include the shows I've inspired, such as those that Brian McWilliams brings you every single Wednesday with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, shenanigans, cursing, and of course, Liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while my buddy John Odermatt wraps things up every Friday with his hard-hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You hit that subscribe button and you get them all. Isn't it a beautiful thing? The world's greatest libertarian variety show here on Lions of Liberty. But we are now here at the flagship on Monday, and I'm bringing you a little compilation this week of interviews I conducted over the course of the uh, weekend at the Libertarian Party State Convention. This is actually last weekend, uh, going through President's Day. These things tend to take some time, all the business and bylaws and bickering and talking and schmoozing and such. Uh, We also attended a couple debates, the uh, chair debate as well as the presidential debate at that. uh, Myself and Brian attended that. We did a little post show that we aired in full for our Patreon supporters. Of course, you can support us on Patreon by heading over to patreon.com slash live. Lions of Liberty to get all of our bonus content for as little as $5 a month. Uh, but in the course of doing that post show, we sort of haphazardly ended up talking to Jacob Hornberger and Adam Kokesh uh, separately. So you're going to hear those coming up at the top of the show. You're also going to hear a few other voices during those roundtables as we had a couple fans slash supporters, actually Patreon supporters, members of the Lions of Liberty Pride sitting there with us chatting. So you're going to hear the voices of Adam Choit, who has his own podcast, People We Love. I highly recommend checking it out. Yes, that was a free plug, but we will accept donations. You already donate to us uh, and you support us in so many ways, Adam. So do give a gander to the People We Love podcast as well. We had our friend Dan Mahoney there commenting as well. He was watching the Libertarian Party debate as a non-member of the party, as someone who's just seeing a lot of these candidates for the first time. So first up, you'll hear Jacob, then Adam, then a little bit later, you'll be hearing an interview I conducted later on in the evening at the hotel suite of presidential candidate Mark Whitney. And those of you that are immersed in a Libertarian drama or Libertarian Facebook might be saying, what do you mean? I heard he dropped out. 
right. And uh, yes, as of yesterday, depending on what time you were online, Mark Whitney did drop out of the campaign, and then he later decided to get back in. Uh, either way, I did speak to his campaign. They did request that I do run this interview with him, so that will be included in the show. And I also got to speak very late at night. It was after midnight at that point with Vermin Supreme, who had some really interesting thoughts and comments about how he uh, was actually raised with anarchist roots. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but you can hear more about Vermin Supreme's anarchism later in the show. You're also going to hear me talk to someone during the Vermin Supreme interview who is not a libertarian, but they were at the Libertarian Party of California State Convention because of Vermin Supreme in many ways. So I'll just leave it at that as a little bit of a teaser, but it's a pretty interesting conversation that we had there. So I hope you enjoy all of the content that I was able to gather for you. Thanks to you guys and thanks to our Patreon supporters for providing us with the funds that enable us to go to events like this, that enable us to have mobile podcasting equipment to record interviews and do roundtable discussions on the fly. We are so very grateful again to support us and help us with this mission. We're going to be doing a lot more of this type of stuff at the Libertarian National Convention this coming Memorial Day weekend. Uh, please do head over to patreon.com slash Liberty. You can also donate at lionsofliberty.com slash donate. And now now, with that being said, enjoy the show. All right, Jacob, you just finished the presidential debate here at the Libertarian Party. Um, how'd you feel? How are you feeling? <laughs> oh, I was doing great. I mean, that was a really high-level debate, a lot of energy and excitement, and uh, I'm just energized by it. It was just, it was really an awesome debate. What do you find uh, most impressive about your opponents? Or is there anybody that stands out to you as someone that you would either want to run with or that you would be feel really good about seeing as the, the face of the party? Were you not to become the nominee? I think it, you know, it was just an honor to be on the stage with all five of them. I mean, it, they, everybody expresses himself very eloquently. He expresses what liber- liberty is about. We're all passionately committed to this philosophy. And uh, I think... That's just what matters to me is, is that we all are on the same overall page on achieving a free society. Well, can I ask you this? Uh, one of the things that you had said when you were up there was you're in it to win. But you also acknowledge the fact that we're not going to win. You know, as libertarians, we're not going to win. So what is the emphasis then? You know, it's kind of a, a you know, two-pronged approach there winning versus education and, and you know ron paul obviously he won a lot of us over you know, I, i'm here because of ron paul when he ran when you're campaigning is it going to be more based upon educating people on the principles of the party or attacking the current system and attacking what's going on between the parties right now to try to gain votes it's about gaining votes and gaining adherence in the pro and but doing that you have to fight with libertarian principles mm. that if you water down your message and you want a Republican-like campaign or a Democrat-like campaign, what does that accomplish? Mm. I mean, it, you may get a lot of votes, but who cares? You haven't advanced the freedom philosophy. So I say, fight to win. We know the odds are. You know, we, we can go out there and tell people, oh, we've got a chance to win in this thing, when we know realistically that's not very likely. Yeah. But we have to fight it's if we're going to win. And you fight with your principles, not to educate people, mm. but to win. Even though it, it's, it's, it's like the odds are against us. There's always a chance we could win, but you, you've just got to get in there and, and attack them for what they've done to our country. Mm-hmm. In the process of that, you may educate people. That people say, oh my gosh, you know, look how hard they're fighting. Let me learn about their philosophy. And so that's the byproduct. Mm-hmm. 
But if you go in there and say, well, I'm going to run an educational campaign, that's not very inspiring to me. You got to no. get in there and fight with your weapons, and and you fight to defeat these people. Yeah, because they deserve to be defeated. A qu- uh, secondary question for that, and I apologize, you give it a question mark, but um, debate access. You know, getting into the debates. Is there a strategy that you have in mind to try to to win that access? Is there a, a fundamental way we can break in? Because obviously, you know, as of right now, the Democrats and Republicans control who gets in the debates, which is insane. But what's your approach to making sure that if you're the candidate, you're going to be included and have a voice? Uh, I'm not. I'm not optimistic. Th- this is a rigged game. <laughs> Neither am I. I was hoping you were going to have no, a better no, no. answer. <laughs> no, th- this is a rigged game. I bought razor blades just for the bathtub tonight, Jacob. No, no, no. And I, you're, you're not making me any farther from those razors. No, no. Look, I've got something better for you. I've got suicide capsules. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Much, I got. I got a much uh, more pleasant in my, in my back molar, so I can bite down like in the Bond films. Uh, oh no, but it's that, good to know. Hit you up. I need a supplier. The, that's the filling the CIA did when you went to the dentist. <laughs> that's a, they call me the Manchurian uh, candidate for a reason. Uh, Jacob, I just got breaking news here, at least breaking news to me. Apparently, you did win the straw poll. I'm sure you've already heard this by now. Oh, hey, congratulations. And and I'm also seeing, if my numbers are accurate, that you got about two times the votes of the next person, which which was Adam Kokesh, who got second, who I just saw nearby. Maybe he'll join us, too. I loved you the most. This is my first time at any libertarian uh, meeting or event, and uh, I loved you the most up there, and I wasn't able to vote, but I did write um, my new catchphrase for you. and I put it in the things. So I don't know if they counted that or not. I, you don't have to go with this because it's sort of salacious, but I wrote horny for Hornberger. How are we feeling about go. that? That's the valuable insight you got on this podcast. I can, I can picture it on bumper stickers across America. Do you have a campaign No. Well, I think, well, honestly, it, using that, though, the, be, the most There's sensible thing would then. be to just say honk if you're horny, and then people would just be like, Hornberger, I'm honking if I'm horny. Just have to take what's already on people's bumpers. We're, I've decided that we're going to make my campaign children friendly. And all so, right. Well, so, that's so one maybe way this to one's go. Up. But if you put all a little right. picture of like a rhinoceros with it, then it's just a little anim- yeah, animal yeah. reference. Yeah. That's totally fine. Yeah. It can work for the adults and the kids. Thank you. We can't hear you. You're not talking to microphone. The, through these guys, through also Ron Paul. And when you were right when you started talking, I turned to Brian and said, "Oh, is is, is he from Texas?" I heard a little. Uh, uh, twang and and uh, your voice sort of reminded me of him and some cadences. So that was my first impression of you. So it was a good impression. But uh, yeah, I really just thought you uh, you did great up there. And, and this is from you weren't familiar with really the libertarian candidates before tonight. You just are, are here as an observer. My names I've heard of uh, Kokesh and uh, everyone else. I've heard of uh, Vernon and uh, through these guys' podcast. Uh, and but I've never seen them any of them really talk or their platforms or anything. So yeah, this first impression, someone new, and uh, I, I, I really liked you up there. Thank you very much. That's, that's a, no, that's very nice. Can Thank I can you. I ask that's you every man's point of view? Because we were just talking about this with the the chairman debate happened tonight, obviously, and and it was at one point messaging came up. Like, what messaging should we have as a party? What should we be pushing forward? The LNC has taken, uh, in my opinion, a little bit of a leftward slant in its messaging, trying to appeal to the you know more of the the socialists or the left leaning people coming up. What would you think, for your platform, and, and obviously principles first, and I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, in that respect. But were you to go forward, what would you say is fundamentally the most important things that we can? allow people to know or push forward to let really people to identify libertarianism with? Uh, number one, foreign policy. Bring all the troops home from everywhere, not mm-hmm. just the Middle East and Afghanistan. Europe, World War II is over. 
Korea, uh, Africa, Latin America, bring them all home and discharge them. They're not necessary. They're part of this interventionist foreign policy, and they're not necessary. Dismantle the whole national security state apparatus. The CIA, the NSA, the Pentagon, what Eisenhower called a military-industrial complex. Yep. Restore a limited government republic with, with a basic military force. That was our founding type of governmental system. We should have never gone down this totalitarian route of a national security state. Mm-hmm. North Korea is a national security state. So is Egypt, China. United States has no business being a national security state. Legalize drugs, all of them. Leave drug addiction in the private sector. Mm-hmm. That's where it belongs, not the criminal justice sector. This is one of the most deadly, destructive, and racially bigoted government programs in the history of this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, get rid of Medicare and Medicaid. That is the root cause of the health care crisis in America. It's a giant socialist program. It destroyed Amer- the finest health care system in history. And, and, you, you, and there's people think they're going to be able to reform this. The Democrats, they, they see that socialism has destroyed this health care system. What's their solution? More socialism. Mm-hmm. That's not even logical. Well, let me ask you a quick follow-up on that. Would you, and, and I know, you know, when Ron Paul was running, he obviously wanted the same goals. Dismantle, especially education, you know, dismantle the education system, as far, or not education system, but as far as the education run by government. Do you think that we can come in, though, and say, like, would you say from day one, dismantle it, or do you have kind of a, a, a grace period as far as something where you say, okay, we're going to dismantle Medicaid and Medicare, but it's going to take X amount of years so people aren't afraid to support you because they're afraid they're going to get their benefits ripped away, and then what are they going to do? Do it immediately. Oh, okay. Because it's the only right thing to do. You know, I, I mean... It, a free society necessarily is a society in which there are no infringements on liberty. This giant socialist program is an infringement on liberty. So when somebody tells me, let's phase it out over 10 years, that has no interest for me. I don't want freedom 10 years from now. I want freedom now. And, and, and you, we've, what we've got to do in this country is, is recapture that sense of, of faith in ourselves, in, in others, in freedom, in free markets, in voluntary charity. And you're never going to convince, libertarians are never going to convince seniors to vote for us. I'm not even going to target seniors. Unless they're a libertarian senior, they're not voting for us. They're going to vote for where their their dole is secure. The people we target are the younger people, people like yourselves, that are getting fleeced. Thank you. Thank you. I'm talking about 20s, 30s, 40s, and early 50s. Because what, what they're telling younger people, and this hasn't registered with younger people, is you all are a bad people. You can't be trusted with us. You won't step up to the plate and help your parents and grandparents. And this is why we need to force you to do it with these mandatory programs. Well, that's one gigantic insult. If all of a sudden young people start realizing that and saying, wait a minute, why should you be fleecing me and taking my money when I can handle this responsibility myself? Then the system collapses. Jacob, you speak a lot about the border and an open borders policy as a libertarian position. And as you know, of course, with President Trump, it's a big issue out there. How would you plan to deliver that message to people like maybe in your own community where you're campaigning? I know you're doing a lot of campaigning in North Carolina. People that have concerns about immigration or illegal immigration or whatever they may be, may have some more mainstream sort of concern about that, whether it's related to crime or jobs. How do you sell the libertarian message to people like that? People that are sort of inclined to not have that position offhand that might want to have a more traditional position on borders and border control? Well, the problem is that we've all been born and raised under this system. 
And when you're born and raised under a system, and even worse, you're taught that it's freedom, then anything different scares the dickens out of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we've had open borders here in the United States all of our lives. Nobody scared, gets scared over the fact that somebody from California can move to Texas or that somebody from Oklahoma can move to Arkansas. Nobody gets scared of that. But if we'd been born and raised under a system where each state had immigration controls and we were to come along and say, hey, let's dismantle that, people would be scared to death. Yeah. Look, you've got a giant socialist system in place. That's what it is. Immigration controls. It's a central planning. Central planning is an inherent part of socialism. you got a government planning how many immigrants, what their qualifications are going to be. That's the crisis. That's, that's what Ludwig von Mises called planned chaos. Mm -hmm. It's what central planning always produces. To enforce a system, they need a police state. That's why you have highway checkpoints here in California and in Texas. For people that never have gone into Mexico, they, they get stopped. This is, a, this is what happens in communist countries. Roving border patrol checkpoints. I've been the victim of one of those. Trespasses onto farms and ranches. Boarding of Greyhound buses. All right. This is a system that brings death and suffering and a police state. There's a photograph online. People can just Google uh, father, two-year-old daughter, three-year-old daughter, Rio Grande. And you see a photograph of a man who's dead with his three-year-old daughter who's dead. This is a system that brings death and suffering. How can any Christian defend a system like this? You've got a nation of people that go to church every Sunday, and they defend a system that brings this kind of, of, of result. How do they reconcile that with, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself? Mm -hmm. That's the case I would make, that if you're going to stand for Christian principles, moral principles, economic principles, freedom principles, there's only one solution to this. And I underline only one, and that's liberty, freedom and free markets, the right of people to freely cross borders like human beings. I have uh, another quick question, because I know you, there was some material that was on the tables around that I'd read. It was a story uh, from, it was a, the Carolinian? The Carolinian. The Carolinian. Uh, but it was from a, a black journalist, and he saw the work that you were doing with a man who was in prison. You helped, you're, you're really fighting and striving to get him out. And this man you know, wrote an article for a, a predominantly black newspaper saying that you had gotten his vote. Do you think that, as libertarians, you know, that uh, the black populace is very ripe for us to go after and say, look, you know, the, the system you've been supporting, the candidates you've been supporting have been hurting you. They have not been helping you in any way. Do you think that's fertile ground for us as libertarians to say, look, come come on to our side? Is that is that something you would make a point of emphasis? Oh, there's no question about it. Mm -hmm. And I've been saying this for years. And, and when I've been campaigning in North Carolina, I went to the bus station, which were the poorest people in Wilmington, in R R Raleigh. Mm -hmm. And I started passing out my card, and, and you could tell these were the poorest people in, in society. And I introduced myself, running for, for president, and they were, everybody was so nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody rejected me in terms of, thank you, Mr. Hornberger, thank you, Mr. Hornberger. And what was fascinating is they actually understand what's going on in this country. Mm -hmm. They have a grip on what's going on, much better than the white elites and the middle class in this country. They understand the foreign policy. Mm -hmm. One guy comes up to me and says, I think the president made a very bad decision by assassinating that guy. Yeah. I mean, he understood it. They understood civil liberties. When I mentioned the drug war, we went into black neighborhoods in Wilmington. Mm -hmm. Poorest people, poorest neighborhoods in Wilmington. They were coming up to me and I said, want to get rid of the drug war. They understood it. Yep. So I go into a, an African-American newspaper called The Carolinian. And I introduced myself and, and um, I said, look, 
I'm against Jim Crow mass incarceration. I believe the drug war is the most racially bigoted government program since segregation. Yep. The young lady says, you stop right there. And she calls two more reporters over and she says, tell them what you just said. Mm -hmm. Well, one of them says, take a look at my article in tomorrow's paper. And it was about this man, Michael Holmes, who got a 200-year jail yeah. sentence, black man, for a nonviolent drug offense. He's been in jail for 25 years. Mm. And, he, and so his buddy, the reporter's trying to get him out. And well, I saw immediately, this is a poster child for what I've been arguing about for 30 years. So I printed up post, uh, little flyers, free Michael Holmes. Mm -hmm. And we, that's what we distributed in Wilmington. And so the reporter then writes his column. And that's the, that's the biggest honor I've received in this campaign, for this black reporter to say, I'm to the left of Barack Obama. I'm considering voting for Jacob Hornberger, and I'm, I'm exhorting my readers to do the same. Because this is a target audience for libertarians. Yep. They understand. The licensing laws, when we went to neighborhoods in Wilmington, they were talking to us about the unfairness of yeah, license, exactly, licensing Exactly, right? It's like, yeah, you, can't, you have to have a braiding license. You have to have exactly. a nail care license, whatever it might be. Estheticians license, all these ridiculous things. No, exactly right. You hit it the and that speaks the to a, that speaks to a conversation that comes up a lot in the Libertarian Party, especially when it comes to the messaging of presidential candidates. It's the question of pragmatism. Uh, how many votes can we get versus purism, versus delivering a pure message? But I've always thought that's a false paradigm. You can do both. And that's kind of one example of how you can bring a pure Libertarian message to just a different segment of the population that wasn't hearing it before by focusing on a specific issue for them. Uh, is that a strategy that you're just using in general when you look at different issues? How can I bring this issue in the pure libertarian way, but to the right people, to the right people that are actually going to be open to hearing that message? I couldn't agree with you more. I totally agree that if you fight a campaign based on pure principles, that's our biggest asset. And that, and that that's what will resonate among people. Uh, people tend to go toward in different times in history ideals principles sound ideas on liberty you just have to you have to hit it at the right time you need some luck um, but that's the only key and then you you target certain audiences with that message like african americans uh, young people that are getting fleeced another one is hispanics i mean they're they have been these Immigrants that have come here illegally have been abused, insulted, mistreated, and every Hispanic can relate to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we target those people. We say, we care about what's going on in your society. Again, why would I target a senior citizens on Social Security? Right. They're on the dole. People who are on the dole are not going to support you. People that are involved in crony capitalism, that are in the military-industrial complex, defense contractors, you think they're going to vote for me? I'm not going to waste any time with them because I'm, I'm going to terminate their contracts. Right. No. Exactly. But the people who are being fleeced and people who don't vote, yeah. that's another target audience. Yeah. People who don't vote, are, that's an encouraging sign for us. Because they're disgusted with the system. Mm -hmm. They know the system is rotten to the core. And all of a sudden, if they get a sense that libertarians stand for dismantling this whole welfare warfare state, now they're saying, now it's worth voting. Yeah. Yeah, I got a question. Following up on like a single issue thing, a big part of the Ron Paul movements in 2008, 2012 was focusing on the Fed and being critical of the Fed, auditing the Fed, ending the Fed. Is that something that you plan on having a big part, you know, being a big part of your campaigns moving forward? And is there a way to appeal to people on the left or people on the right and, you know, educating them about the Fed and sort of getting that, you know, being part of the, you know, essential part of your campaign? Absolutely. And, and you mentioned Ron Paul. I mean, Ron Paul's been one of my heroes mm -hmm. in life. I mean, the guy's heroic and I, I campaigned for him. 
in New Hampshire where it was freezing cold in 2008. Mm-hmm. I went door to door for the guy. <laughs> and I found it absolutely fascinating. I mean, his, his, his seminal moment was during the debate where on Giuliani course, said, yeah. they, they, they came over here to kill us because our government's over there oh, yeah. killing them. <laughs> but this end the Fed thing, I mean, who would have ever thought I mean, this is the nerdiest yeah. thing in the world. Yeah, right? I mean, you sit in a, of all the things to take off and get chance about, and the Fed yeah. is the one. Yeah, <laughs> not I mean, and the war is not. Yeah, any of the things you can pick. I know. Right. I mean, you're sitting in the campaign strategy session, and somebody brings up maybe we ought to bring up in the Fed. Yeah. Are you nuts? <laughs> and yet it took off. People can get educated about that. Can, yeah. can more people get educated? Absolutely. About that? Yeah. Because well, I saw an Occupy movement uh, there here in California. They were carrying signs. In the Fed, and I said, wow. And they're the people on the left. Look, the Federal Reserve destroyed the finest monetary system in history. From, from, from a libertarian standpoint, we favor a free market monetary system. But this was the second best. Gold coins, silver coins. That's the constitutional system. Uh, it was the soundest money in history. It was one of the reasons why you had tremendous outbursts of prosperity in the late 1800s. It was an incredible system. It, they were solid coins. No, no clipping the coins. No inflation. And the Fed comes along in 1913 and ends up destroying it all. That's why you don't have silver coins and gold coins circulating, despite the fact that the Constitution says no state shall make anything but gold and silver coins legal tender. So this is what's financed the welfare state, the warfare state. They've destroyed people's savings. It has been a tremendous attack against poor people, people on fixed incomes. And I think people instinctively know there's something wrong with this apparatus that brings these booms and busts and bubbles and bubbles bursting and wipes out fortunes. And I think that's why it, attra- it attracted everybody's attention, because it's a socialist system. It's, it's, it's based on central planning, and it, it is a way to help the elites in society, the people that know how to protect themselves against what the Fed is doing while they're plundering and looting. It's a tax. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're taxing people secretly and surreptitiously through inflation. And then they blame it on big business and big oil when I think people are starting to sense. And, and the Ron Paul campaign reflected this, that this is the Federal Reserve doing this, and it needs to go. It needs to abolish it. I think that's a strong message, and that could appeal to people definitely on the left and people who are not libertarians, for sure. Absolutely, because they're hurting everybody, regardless of whether they're left or right or non-ideological. Jacob, I got, I got to ask you one curveball. Uh, you're up there with five other candidates tonight. You did win the straw poll, as I mentioned. If you had to pick one of these five candidates to be your running mate, to be your vice presidential candidate, I'm not just saying this is because Adam Kokesh is right next to you right now. And he did, he did get second in the He's poll. Right. Don't, don't turn not around, but Adam Kokesh is right I'm behind not saying you. you have to mention him. Is there someone that stands out that you want standing there by your side delivering this message to the American people? Hey, I just look <laughs> dumb, man. I'm not that dumb. <laughs> That's a good enough answer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think, well, well, Jacob, thank you so much. I mean, thank uh, you so we're much. taking a lot of your time up, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that is that. Well, hopefully, we'll, uh, we'll have you on again. Thank Hey, hey, Lions. I got to take a quick time out to tell you a little bit more about our new sponsors at North Spokane Hemp Company. Again, that's Spokane, not Spokane. Several weeks of mea culpa on me for that one. But who's, who would ever know? Who would ever know? 
That is pronounced Spokane, unless you're from that area. But regardless, our sponsors at North Spokane Hemp Company have some of the finest CBD products you are going to find. They are sourced directly from the farms, and they are third-party tested, so you know you're getting the highest quality product possible. And these guys have everything you could want in terms of CBD products. They've got tinctures. They've got flour. They've even got some CBD products for pets. That's right. Your little puppy can have some CBD. And I've got a husky, a big old husky that's starting to get a little older, starting to get a little arthritis. And I'm going to be using some of these North Spokane CBD products on my big boy, on my big hawk. So I will report back here for the results, but you might not have time to wait for those results if you want to get the best possible deal because we have a very special promotion running through the end of February, whereupon if you use discount code LIONS at checkout, you will get 25%. That is a massive 25% off your order. We can only provide this discount through the end of February. It is a very limited time promotion. So head over to NorthSpokaneCBD.com right now. They also have free shipping for any order over 50 you really can't go wrong. If you're looking to try out CBD products or you're already using them, head to NorthSpokaneCBD.com and use discount code LIONS at checkout. Adam, I just got word that you got, I believe, second place in the yes. Straw Bowl tonight. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about the debate? How are you feeling about the reception you've been getting amazing. from the delegates? Yeah, and it was amazing. Not only was it an incredible night for the Libertarian Party with a great group of candidates, a lot of great points made with a lot of great passion on stage, with a really passionate audience engaged here, with a great state party organization in California behind it. I've heard a few people already referring to this as a moment for the LP. And certainly in this primary, it absolutely was. But in the bigger history of the LP, that now the Libertarian Party has a group of candidates that are this strong and this capable mm-hmm. that would all be great representatives of the party. This is something that, that we have states that are expected to be this well organized. We have every delegate slot going to national and Austin competitive. That's amazing. For me, what I'm pitching to the LP is what I think is just the, the, the cumulative lessons of what I've done as an activist for 13 years and saying, how do we really make this a unifying message? How do we unite people, not just within the party? Because I've seen, you know, the, the infighting within the party and the movement, it's silly, it's petty, yep, it's not even worth completely. talking about it. You want to get, you want to solve all of the, the, the movement division, get off Facebook. In fact, you want to you solve... All Half the polarization. Oh, if you, yeah. no, you want to solve really. politics, you want to solve politics? Yeah, get I'm off Facebook. With you, man. Yeah, Social well, media is a cancer. Authorized, yeah. untruthful political ads right. on Facebook. Explicitly, Mark Zuckerberg saying, "Yes, <laughs> we do not fact check ads mm. if they're political." Mm. Holy crap! I think you have it backwards, Mark. That's crazy. <laughs> I think you might be right. Holy crap! But what what I'm offering is is a is a platform based on principle and localization, mm. and localization is getting government down to the community level and it's we've been we've been sucked into playing their game myself included i'm just as guilty of this arguing issues statistics policy no libertarianism is about freedom that speaks to every human soul we need to be able to communicate that simply effectively and with policy that is unobjectionable and immediately improves everyone's lives that's why localization is the everyone gets what they want strategy Mm -hmm. I think what differentiates you the most from the other candidates is that you're running on on not being the president. You're right running now. on the idea. Oh, you noticed that's that you, yeah, that's the differentiator. Thank you. I, yeah, the, the whole I'm resigning the first day is it's a great line. Well, sure. but there no, is no, a follow up question. Is a, this is a very serious, thoughtful platform, yep. and really keeping the federal government going is not practical at this point. How do, how do we end it peacefully? Mm-hmm. Right? It's gonna it's gonna end one way or another. The message of my campaign is, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. 
The hard way is keep your head buried in the sand, hope that government spares you in its violent death throes as it desperately clings to power. I don't want America to go that way. We need to apply a solution as big as a problem. And this is actually a shockingly, even for myself, embarrassingly moderate platform. Do you guys know how many people work for government at state, federal, and local levels combined in the United States all together? What's the number? Oh, 30, 330 rough population. Tens of billions? Well, it's got it. I mean, guess 40, 50 million, 60 million. Am I are, we say, are we including works for government on people that are on welfare or getting on, on the Full time government general? employees. Full -time? No, no, actual full time. I, so you're, you're, say, being, you're being inclusive with that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say 17 million. It's close. It's 22. All right, I was close without so going over. You, I you win. Guys, you guys are actually both I reasonable win ballpark. Million. <laughs> but here's the bonus question Of those 22 million, how many work for the federal government? You got I'm me. I'm gonna I guess it's a high number. Seventeen million. <laughs> <laughs> they they want you Let's to think 10. they're that significant. No, three million. Wow, really? it's only three. I am talking wow. about cutting. You're very moderate in that sense. Three yeah. million out of twenty-two million government jobs, and really less than that because a lot of those fired federal employees are going to get absorbed by the states, including most of the military right, yeah. by by personnel. Yeah, a lot of the functions. So. I'm talking about cutting less than one in seven government jobs. Anybody saying anything less than that in reducing government is endorsing the status quo, mm -hmm. is, is failing at really addressing the problem here. And the other thing that makes it such a moderate platform is that I'm not saying what states can or can't do. You're sovereign now as a state. California's independent. And, and having the Cal Exit California independence guys here, by the way, was great this week. And Marcus Ruiz Evans, great dude. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned that was just with localization everything is better like it just it's yep. every every doubt that i had in developing this policy you turn over another stone you go, oh my gosh there's another gem california goes more california goes independent today some people think oh we're going to go more liberal no you're going to get more efficient liberalism mm. if you're a libertarian or a conservative you want smaller government in general fiscally especially in california and you live here because you like it guess what you get rid of the corruption of the federal government, the federal reserve system, federal regulations, federal courts, the whole federal legal everything. The inefficiency, the ineffectiveness, the fraud, waste, and abuse of the liberal California government it goes down by easily more than half. You get more of what you want, even if you live in a place that doesn't rep your, represent your values. You get a more customized, more effective, more efficient government experience. And the goal, again, down to the community level right because the community is a voluntary unit yep. you can choose to leave you can choose to join a new one you can choose to create a new one we don't need to argue issues anymore mm. to argue principles and practical policy that immediately improves everyone's lives that's localization let me ask you there, there are a couple moments i wrote down in my notes don't look at my notes but I wrote out a couple no one of can things read that. Oh, I, I wouldn't. I could concerned. have been cheating this whole well, time. <laughs> well, there were a couple. There were a couple of you know, things that stood out. I obviously, you know, we're talking. They had a question about open borders, and you obviously pushed forward, which I agree with. Is you know, private property yes. borders. But also, one of the things though that I really wanted to ask you about, it was kind of a wow moment. Cause I hadn't really heard it before, uh, and maybe shame on me. But you talked about when you were in the military, yeah. and you were in. I, I think it was uh, Iraq. Yeah, Fallujah, two thousand four. Yeah, and they, uh, for the first battle, about, not the second torture. one. Yeah. And how yeah. you had followed orders. It was it was a really powerful moment in the debate where you said, you know, I had followed orders, and you know, it's something that you said, I'd never do that again. I see, you know, like, so can I ask a little bit more about that? Did you expand? About yeah, sure. That I mean, that was it, it, it. 
it was a very lively, well-timed debate, and it, it was it, it was a challenge that I think we all rose to to, to pack things into sound bites. Right. Effectively. Well, yeah, was, yeah. But it I mean, was I nice t- that you saw everybody. But like I said, so, yeah, it just hit me, and it was very. I mean, I got I got goosebumps one time during the debate, and that was the time. Wow, thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. I that's, you that's huge. Yeah. So uh, I was in civil affairs, and I was I was in artillery reserves, going to college originally. Uh, the, the Marine Corps was calling for volunteers for civil affairs from the reserves. Uh, I went because, and I, I volunteered. And it was it was actually a really arduous process for me to mm. go. Like I had to make it. I I had a I ended up cursing out a a, a major <laughs> uh, officer on the phone, and he goes, "Do you know who this is? I'm Major So and So." And I said, "Do you know who this is? <laughs> no. Good. Click. Uh, <laughs> yeah, bureaucracy. You know." Think of the DMV with guns. Don't think the military is some magical, well-oiled machine. Right. But I, I volunteered to go because I thought, especially in civil affairs, that what we were doing was really righteous. Yeah. That we were cleaning up our mess. I was against the invasion of Iraq. I went to, as a student, a day of student walkouts at, at Claremont McKenna, not too far from here. And I found out the hard way that that's not what was happening. In civil affairs... We were attached to infantry units mm. who had areas of operation, areas of responsibility, and we had to beg permission from them to get a- attached to their convoys to get out and do our job that we thought was the, the real righteous community building. We were giving out money for projects, mm. helping with local disputes, salacia payments, which is, you know, oh, sorry, we, we killed your kid yeah. with a bomb. Like, oh, well, we're not going to say, we're not going to admit responsibility, but solace, salacia payment, we're going to give you, you know, a couple thousand bucks. Like, that was, and what was crazy is, my life insurance in Iraq through the military was like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we're walking around going, my life is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. This local Iraqi's life is worth mm, yeah, nothing. Mm, I don't think we really need to be sending that message. You, you break it down like that. Sometimes you go, yeah. wow, that is a sick, sick premise of the whole war on terror. So we were in the siege of Fallujah, April 2004, you know, when the Blackwater security agents... Mm-hmm drove across the southern bridge over the Euphrates there. We called it the George Washington. Uh, the New York, or excuse me, the Brooklyn Bridge was the uh, the northern bridge where they, they were strung up and burned on international television. Mm. And so then we had the city under siege and we had it on lockdown. So people were trying to escape. And at some point, there were uh, a, a few young men who, who were just trying to get out of a city that's being shelled pretty well continuously. you know, And they don't know what's going to happen. Hey, what's what's the only government on the planet that's dropped a nuke on actual people? Uh, yeah. You think you think they're going to be able to? No, they're, if they can get out of the city, they're trying to get out, yeah. right? And I was asked to guard a couple of detainees who had just been in that situation, caught trying to leave the city. They were in the guard shack by the Brooklyn Bridge, and they had sandbags over their heads. Their hands were zip cuffed behind their backs, and they were in that position for most of a day by the time I got there. Now, technically, it's not torture. Technically, I wasn't ordered to torture anybody. Yeah. I was ordered to keep them awake and in that position. Mm. If you don't think that's officially a stress position, oh, I dare you sure, do it. Man. Sit down, tie your hands behind your back, or hook them, you I know, and, and sit down about 10 minutes. on a hard yeah. floor, floor with your legs crossed. Oh, your your stuff agony. goes numb. And, then, and they weren't allowed to go to the bathroom. They were sitting in their own excrement. And I learned Arabic to be better at my job, to be better at helping Iraqis. And that night, I used my Arabic to taunt these men. Mm. And so this has been a huge motivator for me to know 
the depths of evil that government can pervert someone to, even with the best of intentions. And I was a libertarian then, but I didn't really know what it meant. And I think it is absolutely essential that we stop playing their game of politics, of arguing issue by issue, because then you're not arguing principle, you're not arguing ethics, and you're not, you're not talking about love, because that's what's really behind this message. And because I was socially liberal, fiscally conservative, I still enlisted. I still volunteered to deploy enthusiastically, and I still followed orders. We have to get deeper than that to get to what this message is all about and really talk about principle. And so presenting that has, has, has since then you know, been a real passion of mine to make sure that the Libertarian Party and the movement as a whole, that we don't pull punches, no. that, we, that we tell the American people why we're here, what no. this is about. And, it, and it's not because we're saying, we're better than you and we want to run your life. Or look at me, I look good in a suit and so you should vote for me and give me power over you. No, that's the old party's game. We're here to turn it, turn it on its head. And we, we do that by sound principle. Yeah. How do you find your message resonating with, I mean, as you know, when you go to the national convention, you're, you're going to have to win over different types of libertarians. There's yeah. people that really want a purist message. There's, there's people that are concerned with just getting the most votes and winning, you know, winning elections and that sort of thing. How do you deliver this message that you have of dissolving the federal government to the prag pragmatists, people that identify more with the numbers and that sort of thing? How do you win the people over to show your message as helping even with what they want, even yeah. the, the way they see helping local candidates and that sort of thing? No, it's a great question, and it, you're getting really inside baseball here on the demographics I appreciate that but it's similar to uh, the, the analogy you might have heard about libertarianism versus statism right flat earth versus round earth you've, you've heard this right people used to think the earth was flat in the center of the universe and made all these ridiculous excuses and equations fancy uh, math to, to justify the, the, the orbits that they were observing and someone came along and said no Maybe the Earth is round-ish, technically, and not the center of the universe. And, oh, wow, the math gets really simple. Euclidean geometry, ellipses, no kidding. Okay, wow. Same thing with government. You guys have heard this. Government is good and righteous and necessary, and police love us, and they only do what they do to protect us. And, yeah, they screw And politicians are here because they really care about you, and some, some corrupt ones get through. But if we just, if we just nominate the right people, you know, then, we'll, then, then, then we'll, we'll fix the system and everybody will be happy. No. And then you go, no, 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 no. Freedom. The non-aggression principle. Get, drop the excuse. No, and, 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 but what about? No. Freedom. The non and it's simpler. And so people have to do the, the more you have invested in that old model, the harder it is to embrace the new one. Right. If you if if you've been in the military and you retired after 20 years, or you were a cop, or you had a a family member who who died overseas, or or works for government, or or just being dependent on it, even you have more invested in it, and it's harder to say, oh wow, I was wrong, but it's that much simpler, and it's it's really embracing something deeper and truly righteous that you see humanity doing naturally, and you see this resistance is just dispelling that old math, the excuses, the rationalizations. So we're going to go one level deeper now to answer your question, inception style, libertarian <laughs> now style. Now answer your question for So here real. we go. Here's the old model. We have to argue issues. We have to play politics. We have to know policy. We have to memorize numbers. We have to know all the arguments. We have to have all the best words. We have to argue with people issue by issue. Localization and ethics. Libertarian principles. No, you don't. No. You think of libertarianism as pro-guns, for example, right? 
it's not at a deeper level. It's pro-private property. I have a right to own property. I don't need a special right to own guns. You don't have no right to tell me on my own property or in public, I can't own a piece of metal in a certain shape because you don't like it. No. Right? Flip side of that is, if you want to ban guns in your home, if you want to live in a gun-free zone, if you want to create a community of people who do that voluntarily, you can do that. When we reframe the debate and say, no, with freedom, you can get whatever you want. You can have as much or as little government as you want, as long as you do it ethically, as long as you don't force it on anyone. And that's such a unifying message beyond the factions in the party to the broader public. And what we found in this, in this conversation so far around this campaign, I'm bringing in a lot of people who are like, yeah, Adam, I'm here because of the strategy and because of all the work you've done. I get it. I see what you're doing here. And to the rest, it's they just haven't considered it yet. And as soon as they hear it broken down like this, and I think in the debate tonight, I got a, a fair opportunity to do that because I'm offering, I'm not playing even this game of, I'm the best guy to be president as a libertarian, nominate me because I'm the best guy. I'm not playing that game. I'm not running even on my own credibility or credentials. It's this principle, this policy. And it, it's kind of hard to put into you know, a series of 60-second sound bites. <laughs> yeah. But you see this conversation we're having now, we're having conversations like this all over the country with, with party activists, and they're going, okay, yeah, I think you're right about that. That's a better way to pitch this. That's a better way to grow the party, to grow the movement, to unite people around these principles. I want to ask you the question that uh, Jacob Horenberger, who just left us before you, uh, he dodged a little bit. I, I was wondering if there's anybody that was on stage with you tonight, or anybody else, I suppose, that you would want to have as your vice president in this run, were you to achieve the, the Libertarian Party presidential nomination, who would you want of, of the people you've heard and the way they speak? Is there anyone you can see resonating with that same message that you're sending oh, right now? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, and, and I have... Uh, really the best political answer to that question too because it's everybody like ah, I can honestly boo. say no 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 no, no because it, it, it and this goes back to the platform this goes back to localization I'll tell you yeah. my exact position and preferences for a running mate is that whoever the first one is who embraces this platform who's the most capable of helping us win and grow the movement and grow the party I'm, I'm you know I think that the membership can decide but we can't nominate someone on the platform of dissolving the Fed and a vice president that's not congruent with that platform. So I think they, if any of them could see the little bit of light that I have seen at the end of the tunnel that is localization, that is ethics, that is principle, you know, I, and, and a, a few people have suggested at this point that the best thing for Lincoln Chafee to do would be to say, look, I came here to support the party, to lend my resume, my experience, my credentials, and I'm going to run for vice president. I'm going to support whoever the nominee is and whatever direction mm -hmm. they want to take the, the policy and the strategy and the message for the party, I'm going to back them up and support them with that. I think that would be the, the, the most amazing play for him to make but at this we, point. we thought Bill but Weld would do that. He's not, and then he no, went to endorse Hillary right. Clinton. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> well, no, we didn't no, no, I have, while I, running no, no, for have, president, vice president. Oh, uh, I know, I know, I know. Both he did of these say gentlemen. he wouldn't say anything nice about Hillary Clinton. Where he yeah, did. yeah, yeah, we did yeah. ask that question. No, I, but, but I, I'm just using him as an example because I'm not yeah. committed to that. Um, no, Cynthia, no, 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 Cynthia course, McKinney is someone we've talked about, six-term congresswoman from Georgia, um, a former Green Party presidential nominee who's endorsed this platform. Hmm. Uh, if, 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 if endorsed she, your your specific platform yes, of yes. dissolving the federal um, government. There have been a few other like celebrity names I could drop that have been floated that we're exploring, but. Uh, Russell. Really, it's, it's, it's really like I don't. Here? This is the nobody for president platform. This is the serious, credible, unifying, practical nobody for president platform. Mm -hmm. So who's who's going to be my VP? 
Doesn't matter. Whoever can help make that happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, Adam, thanks a lot for jo- yeah, hopping in dog, here. Right? That's a direct answer. You can quote yeah, me on that. Great, man. <laughs> thanks thank a lot, man. Thank appreciate you it. For joining us. Congrats Congrats on, uh, wonderful. Second place, thank man. You. It's thank impressive. Impressive finish. All right, I am up here with Mark Whitney in his presidential suite here at the Doubletree Culver City. Mark, you just finished the debate. Um, how'd you feel? How many debates have you been in so far? Uh, I think this is this is my fourth or fifth debate. I'm not really sure right now even what the day of the week is. I think it's Sunday, and I think we're in California. These are correct. <laughs> but uh, so here's what's happening right now. What you had tonight was you had uh, the, the people who have the most support, and we are all making each other better. So everybody I was on that stage with tonight, I have been on stage with them before, and we were all we were all better. We were all at the top of our game tonight, as our game is, you know. And uh, and I know that there are some things that I'm going to improve on the next, you know, next week. It's Florida, another big state, really important. You're fairly new to the, I guess, the national scene in terms of your profile as a, as a presidential candidate. A lot of these candidates have been running. I mean, if you're Adam Kokesh, I think he's been running for eight years or something like that. How, what's your strategy in terms of winning over people that may have been committed previously to other candidates, may have seen certain candidates they saw as very principled, and how do you plan to sway those people over to your side to say, maybe these are great candidates, but here's why I'm the best one to actually represent the party on the national stage? Well, I think, you know, I'm really comfortable with being who I am on stage, and I think that's the most important thing. I think that, that it's, I don't think it's about necessarily dragging delegates away from one other candidate or the other because of the way the final vote was structured in Austin. I think it's about showing up on a regular basis, being yourself on stage, talking about the things that, that are most important to you, but that also intersect with with libertarian policy and the libertarian platform and that's what i'm going to continue doing and i am going to get better at doing that very fast right now uh, you know hornberger has been doing what he does for 30 years he has the talking points down he's got a bag of tricks right and i've been a politician for 30 days and this weekend was a huge win for us uh we came in third in the pre-debate poll uh, so that's fantastic. This weekend has been such a great weekend, and I'm working on getting better at digesting the things I need to be talking about into short sound bites because I'm sort of a long form storyteller. So, so I'm I'm doing a, I'm doing a little bit of learning on my feet in that regard. But I'm a fast learner, and it's going to be very different next week in Florida. A lot of your uh, libertarian street cred, I think, comes from your, your sort of your life experience. The fact that you went to jail for tax evasion, as you spoke about on Felony Friday with John, um, and uh, you know how you sued President Obama for bombing Libya. How do you plan to sort of uh, use that that as more? Do you plan to lean on so- some of your stories? Because I think a lot of what a lot of the talk in the Libertarian Party is there's the talk about purism versus pragmatism. But what I notice about you and the way you speak, you speak a lot in in terms of stories, in terms of whether your life stories or just you know, speaking more, and I think that probably comes from a lot of your comedy background. So do you find that as a strategy that engages with people that aren't necessarily thinking along normal political terms like a lot of us philosophical libertarians often are? Right. So libertarian for me, I mean, I've said this before, libertarian for me is an action word. It's not a noun. It's a verb. And my life is one of applied libertarianism. I mean, I don't just talk about the wonder of markets and participating in markets and being successful in markets. I have been successful in markets. I've been successful in the private sector. I don't talk about people being put in cages in theory. I've been put in a cage. Um, uh, I, I, 
I talk about my kids who are successful entrepreneurs. They're not living at home on my health insurance. They're not paying off student loan debts. You know, we bootstrap things. We we live libertarianism. We don't we don't borrow money. We don't pay interest. You know, we don't talk about the evils of banks. We what I went through with banks. You know, in my twenties, we hate banks in my family. You know, we hate them. And and we love the idea of being debt free and interest free and being and, and, and having a high end of financial literacy. So I'll tell you, if I'm being completely honest, right? We love honesty. If I'm being honest, I am weak. I am weaker on speaking about philosophy because everything I do is action and applied. So so one of the things I'm working on is intersecting the philosophy. So Jacob Hornberger is great at philosophy. He's terrific at that. But, you know, I've done some things Jacob Hornberger hasn't done, and there's a place for that as well. Do you find that part of this process of running for president as a libertarian and going to debates like this and interacting with so many libertarians and, and these candidates specifically who are very adept at the message, very adept at the philosophy, do you find that that's a way you're able to sort of absorb the philosophy itself more and then find ways to sort of work that into your routine, so to speak, into what you already do in terms of messaging, in terms of even your, your comedic style and that sort of thing? There's really two, two answers to that question. Uh, uh, the first is I have the philosophy. I understand it cold. And one of the things I never want to do is insult the people in the room by wasting their time by saying stuff I know they already know. But at the same time, you know, if people are fans of the Dodgers, you got to talk about the Dodgers. You know what I mean? So, so what I'm doing is, is I'm, I'm trying to show people a president. I'm trying to show people a first family. I'm trying to get people pumped up about winning. Um, and uh, But I'm going to be making it a point to start insulting people's intelligence. <laughs> Uh, at one point in the debate, Matt Welch asked, uh, somewhat cheekily asked, asked you, uh, and sort of compared you to Mike Bloomberg uh, in terms of coming into the race late, uh, coming in with some of your own money, and sort of just uh, you know hiring a bunch of people within the campaign and sort of just inserting yourself. And I, I'm, I'm not sure, I don't remember the exact phrasing of, of what the question was, but how did you take to that comparison? Obviously, I don't think he fully meant it, but um, he kind of you know implied that a lot of other people have been putting in the work for years or whatever have you in the party, building their name, um, you know, and all, all that sort of thing, whereas you've just come in sort of at the last minute so yeah, and that's, I, not, that's not really true man i've been i've been a libertarian since 1982 and i ran in 1996 i've been around the party forever i was on the california exec, executive committee san diego executive committee the vermont uh, executive committee i was a i was a national committee at large person uh, uh guy and uh, i've been around the party forever um, I took some time off to, you know, be more of a full-time dad to my autistic son who was having a hard time as a teenager. And then I've been going around the country running my mouth about libertarian ideals, but not in the context of presidential debates. So I'm not, I'm not the new guy. I'm not the new guy. I was a libertarian before, you know, most of the people in that room tonight were born. You're just new to this this specific presidential race specifically. And and the fact that uh, uh, one of the reasons I decided to run, if I'm being honest with you, is uh, I looked at the Democrats and I looked at the people running for the Libertarian, and I don't see I didn't see a president. I didn't see a president. So it, it and it's ironic in a way that one of the one of my weaknesses right now as a Libertarian presidential candidate is that. 
um, I have a ver- I have mastered the Constitution. That's how I litigated my way out of prison and beat the largest law firm in the world three times. So I actually am ready to be the president on day one. I know the Constitution and Supreme Court precedent so well. I know where the Achilles heels are to unwind this government. But uh, but it, it, it pushes people away if you talk about the Constitution too much at this stage. And so it's a it's a really fine line because the stuff I've mastered, you know, is not it, it's very useful information to have. But you know, when you hear when you hear uh, when you hear uh, you know uh, Hornberger and Kokesh not answering questions, you know, and and just sort of finessing things, at the end of the day, it's because they haven't done the work. They haven't done the work I have. I have literally spent five, six thousand hours in law libraries. I sell the law to lawyers, and we're going to have a president. We're going to have a president. And it's important for that person who does that job to actually know this shit. But uh, but I understand that I am not connecting with the room the way I need to right now. And I'm going to go to Florida next week. And I'm going to win that room. Well, one question that I, I posed to both Jacob Harnberger and Adam Kokesh earlier tonight was if there was anybody on that stage specifically, if they had to choose someone on that stage specifically to be their vice presidential candidate, uh, were they to win the, the nomination, who would it be? Do you have a, Are you able to name someone up there that you would, could really see running next to you? Anybody from that stage tonight? Yeah, I think Jacob Hornberger would be a great vice president. Um, one of the things you look for in a, in a vice president uh, is, is uh, well, everybody's going to look for our vice president. It doesn't embarrass them. But Jacob Hornberger is, is great on his feet. He's been doing it a long time. I first saw him speak with Glenn Greenwald a few years back at UCSD. And uh, so there's no light between what Jacob is saying and what I'm saying. It's just that I'm a constitutional scholar, and he's not. He's a libertarian doctrine scholar. So if you put us together on a ticket, you've got a good, you've got a good package. And uh, Mark, as you know, there are many types of libertarians in the party, and you kind of have to win over – well, you do have to win over a majority of them at the convention to become the nominee. So I'm curious how you plan to uh, – what's sort of your final pitch right now to uh, sort of how you can please both the purists, the people that are most concerned about the philosophy, spreading a message, and that sort of thing, versus the pragmatists who are really mostly concerned with growing the party, getting votes. Um, that might be somewhat of a false paradigm, but you know that's a different story. But what do, how do you plan to sell yourself to all of these different sort of factions that – while they all have similar ideas, have different approaches to how the party should actually approach things. So I'm trying to model that with my campaign. So I have, I have radical Boomer Shannon as President Whitney 2028. I have Mises Michael Pickens as a national campaign manager. So when I hear the word factions, okay, when, uh, uh, libertarians are smart. They're well-read. They have strong opinions as a result of the fact of being smart and well-read. So when people are arguing, yelling and screaming at each other, that just sounds like freedom to me. That's what it's meant to be. You give me your best argument. I told these guys when I hired them. You guys give me your best arguments. I'll give you my best arguments. And we will make each other better. We'll make the party better. And if I'm nominated, we'll make the country better. Mark, appreciate your time. Best of luck. Florida's your next stop. We'll be watching your campaign. Thank you. All right, I'm here at the California State Libertarian Party Convention with Vermin Supreme, who just got done with the presidential debate here. Vermin? I'm trying to shake your hand, but I only have my hands are taken up. So we'll do the elbow thing for those not at home. But yeah, it's easier not in video. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, yeah. You can. You don't even need to look at me. You can look at the wall over there. This is all good. Uh, you said you wanted to start by actually tossing it to someone you were just speaking with. So do you want to do you want to tee him up for us and? Absolutely. 
Oh, look at me. I yeah. dropped my radio voice down a few octaves. <laughs> Motherfucker. Oh, shit. Look out. Um, well, anyway, people, welcome once again. I'm Vermin Supreme, and we're on the radio now, because there ain't no video cameras around to record what we look like. <laughs> it's late at night it's here. totally different Vermin than when, than when we're on video. It's late night here at the LPCA or whatever, and we are having a wonderful time. It is approaching midnight. We've just had the debates, the and... Debates, the debates were a, a very enlightening, informative, and educational event, of course, as always. Uh, we had the 18th. Did you learn something in the debate? Uh, of course. Oh, I learned a lot, but I'm not telling you what, because it's... Uh, I <laughs> Those signed are insider it. campaign secrets? Absolutely. And um, for sure. So it, it, it's a very interesting thing on the campaign trail here. I mean, obviously, since the last time I spoke to Lions of Liberty at the uh, uh, Pork Festival, you, you, you will notice, you know, what's, what is different. There is no boot on my head. There is not. I did see you bringing out one during the, the debate, but I've rarely seen you with the boot. So what is, what is behind that? Is it just too heavy or is there a, a more uh, philosophical meaning behind not wearing the boot as much? Heavy is the boot that heavy is the head that wears the boot, and heavy is the boot that wears the head. That's what they say. And um, yes, it's a very interesting uh, part of the continuing process of my campaign. And um, since the last time we spoke, my candidacy uh, for the nomination of the Libertarian Party has taken a turn for the much, 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 much more serious aspect of things. Um, and because the controversy online has been incontroversial. Everyone's got an opinion on vermin. That, that's a fact. Indeed. And uh, because some people don't understand the magic and the power withheld within the boot itself. Um, I have given way to the political reality of the fact that I am attempting to make a sale that is a very specific sale, that is a sale based on, yes, the magic of the boot and the massive online presence of boot fans and, and um, all of these metrics and Google Analytics and things... Uh, but the fact of the matter uh, remains that because I'm a serious candidate, because this is a serious campaign, I'm attempting to achieve serious political achievable goals. And because the Libertarian Party, of course, is the only party that welcomes anarchists. And I'm an anarchist, and they have welcomed me. Are you an anarchist? Yes, sir. I've been an anarchist my, my entire adult life. Everything I've learned about anarchy uh, comes from the uh, rainbow gatherings, the rainbow family <laughs> gatherings of living, love, and light. Uh, welcome home. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, of course, um, that's where I cut my teeth, um, was at these rainbow gatherings. And that was essentially, it doesn't identify as such, but it is, in reality, an anarchistic organism. It is a gathering of people without the state enforcement or if the state enforcement happens in the, the uh, incident command team uh, paid up to a million years ago to interrupt uh, a million dear, a million bucks a year to specifically harass the uh, the gatherers in this free assembly temporary autonomous zone um, it happens everything that happens is this event that allows 10,000 to 20,000 people, more or less, to gather in one spot at one time, as guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution, First Amendment, right of free assembly, free speech, and free religion, um, 
happens because the people come together, see a need, and uh, I use the example that imagine, if you will, three, four thousand people in concentric circles once a day waiting for dinner. <laughs> then, magically, and this is miles and miles and miles from civilization, uh, several times a day from up to a hundred different kitchens. And this is a kitchen between the Flintstones and the Gilligan's Island. It, it, it's this uh, kitchen made in the woods out of, out of what the materials are there. Uh, people bring in 55-gallon drums and create uh, um, ovens. And so there's bakeries in the woods cranking out pizza. Can't Sounds like it. a wild time. It's a wild it's a wild time. It, it It is, as I say, an anarchistic organism. And the only reason that anything happens is because things happen. So there's dinner circle. All these five-gallon buckets of food come from these hundred different kitchens in the woods. Everybody gets fed. The magic hat goes around. Because it's a non-commercial event, because it's held in a national forest and protected by the U.S. Constitution, it's not permitted. It's not subject to various permits. Now, once again, this has been an anti-authoritarian event uh, versus the U.S. government for many, many years. There's been permit schemes. It's gone up to the, uh, the Supreme Court. And as I say, there's sometimes a budget of up to a million bucks a year for these federalists to come in and harass American citizens, attempt to gathering on the land of the U.S. Uh, government as it possesses it and gather freely, a free assembly. And um, things happen because people make it happen. Miles of water pipe uh, connect springs to the kitchens to provide water to the kitchen so they can wash their dishes and, and people can drink water and it gets filtered and all, all this amazing stuff through graph the power of gravity mm-hmm. like I say it's very low tech but it, it works on this amazing structure it's where I learned my teeth it's where I cut my teeth where I learned everything I know about anarchism in a practical sense how it can exist in reality and um, so obviously very uh, uh influential point a very uh, important part of my upbringing was learning to be a clown at these events because we and and uh, entertainment we provide our own entertainment and, and workshops and skill shares and all of these things and um but I also realized that one of the, the major things that we provide for ourselves in such a situation where we're inviting, um, you know, 10,000, 20,000 freedom-loving individuals to come in and coexist is security. And we provide security for ourselves under this. It's not a force. It's an, it's an anti-force. It's Shante Sina. It's a, a Sanskrit word. It's a cultural appropriation. But whatever it is, it's what, we call our, what we've called ourselves traditionally. And um, we provide security services for ourselves. Now, between you and me, it's a glorified camp counseling type of situation where we are trying to fucking keep the lid on uh, discord or, or disharmony or fucking people having arguments. You just try and chill that shit out. And... Um, one of uh, the major things that occurs there that we provide these services on the micro is for um, crisis management, which occurs quite frequently at, at, at festivals or any situation where things might happen. Um, and we're there for that as, as people working together. It's really a living example of what a lot of uh, anarchists, anarcho-capitalists talk about what a society would be like if without the force of government. I mean, it's, it's a living example of that. It's a non-state uh, full-on confrontational to the state trying to enforce their rule in the middle of the woods, in the middle of a national forest, out in the middle of nowhere. And um, I've been attending these events for over 30 years. And 
it's an amazing event to be a part of. Um, you know, it has its negatives as well, well as its positives. Our positive is that we are gathering as people. On the 4th of July, there is the, uh, the Prayer for World Peace, if you will, that makes it a religious type of event. Um, and we gather from silent, from sunup, till uh, noon when the uh, Kitty Village Parade comes in from because it's it's sort of like a burn in, in a sense but it's, it, it's, uh, it's a different thing I mean there's different theme camps there's camps that are, that are associated that come under the banner of this or that or the other thing regional or um, you know the snacks they serve or um, what kind of oven they are and stuff of that nature um, but year after year it perseveres and it continues uh, under the depending on the administration how harsh it is and um, it, it is uh, indeed anarchy in action and it's where I learned things and I am a rainbow anarchist the rainbow family of living love and light if you don't know about it you should check it out I mean you know sure you betcha all right, so you got you got the street cred then uh, from from. from <laughs> uh, one of the services we provide is uh, security services to the cops. We provide escorts to the cops, make sure they're not getting in trouble to with the, the hippies, to smooth the uh, fucking shit out, to let the hippies huh. know that the cops are coming and they need to fucking hide their drugs or we'll hide their dogs. Here slowly, you guys do what you need to do, and uh, things I learned was to be able to bring my humor as a clown that I learned to be uh, because the uh, Rainbow Family allows you to be as outrageous as you want to, and, and I, I did that and learned the 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 craft of uh, working a crowd and the talent shows that we provide and the stages that go on and bring that to fucking the cops. So I knew my, my back was always being watched and I could, you know, be as outrageous as the cops I needed to be and, you know, propagandize the cop. I would do an eight-hour shift with um, state troopers from various states. Alabama state troopers rolling in, fucking ramrod straight. But I would personally have eight hours to fucking propagandize these fuckers, explain to them what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, trying to somehow contextualize it and explain to them what we were doing and what they were seeing. And in the meantime, making fun of them, having fun with them, and you know, presenting them in a less than favorable light to, to the freaking hippies, my main constituency. And so I learned that skill. It's kind of like your strategy towards the Democrats and Republicans. You, you've gone to their events, you've had fun with them while trying to sort of point out to everybody and themselves how absurd this whole situation That's is. I learned it at the Rainbow Gatherings, and I was able to transfer that skill out into the riot world, into real fucking cop fucking world, into real, like, where the cops are out on force trying to enforce their will, telling us where we, the people, the protesters, demonstrators, guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution, for whatever that is worth, it's an imaginary paper that I hold up in front of me sometimes, because that is the fiction under which we're operating. Um, and... Uh, for whatever reason, it seems to work, and I've been able to utilize this and, and mine this vein of uh, humor and satire and making fun of cops, and yet at the same time, reading them literally the riot act. Literally, I read the cops' riot uh, material, material about crowd control to cops <laughs> to, to re-up them on information that I agree with in terms of like things such as, you know, it is best to let a crowd disperse on its own. Do not kettle a crowd because it fucking freaks them the fuck out and gives them no exit. Um, and I read these riot control manuals as I've been from the military, from state riot police, and uh, and parts of it that I believe to be true and what I expect of an oppressing army up in my face. And I let them know what's clear. And once again, I've, I use the idea that the knowledge that they're not going to attack me if they're not ordered to, as a rule, 
They fucking break lines sometimes. Sure, that shit happens. And that there is this vacuum between protesters and police. And in this vacuum, any shit can go down. Um, and, you know, it could be a cop taking a cheap shot. It could be a protester taking a cheap shot. It could be, you know, the, the, the rank closing and just fucking intensity happening. And I have discovered that I am able to step into that space and be able to command it, if you will, through the use of a bullhorn, through the use of a calm voice, through the use of humor to change the fucking reality, decrease the likelihood of violence, and um, it's a tricky little uh, bit. There. I think Ryan Control is a pretty useful skill to have uh, just navigating the Libertarian Party in general. Uh, who is this young gentleman that you want to, to you you want him to make a statement of some sort? He's been, he's been waiting very patiently, but... This is the person I just met. Uh, um, I, I, we just met. We just met. However, I am a longtime fan. Uh, my name's Zach. I'm Zach Childs. You're a Vermin Supreme fan, correct? And I, I believe I heard you towards the tail end. I walked in on you guys. You were saying something about how he was a, a big influence on on you in terms of your your political beliefs. Or I'll let you tell the tale. So yeah. So um, growing up, I was a very hardcore Democrat, very establishment Democrat, uh, like. I love Bill Clinton kind of Democrat. <laughs> and uh, as I got older, I noticed Vermin on the internet. And Vermin really just brought forth a lampoon version of the U.S. government as it was with the two parties that there are. And it really made me think that it's just a joke. That's all a joke. And we need to start thinking more for ourselves. And that's what third parties really do. So you started following Vermin as an entertainer first, and then did you later follow him here to the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian philosophy? Well, actually, I am a Democratic Socialist at the moment. This is actually my first Libertarian event. I, uh, yeah? So, yeah, I came, I came with my roommate. My roommate is a Libertarian. Um, so I thought I would open up my mind to a, you know... I see you got Adam Kokesh's uh, book there with you, so... Give it a read. Got some reading material. Did we get an autograph? Yeah. No, I didn't get an autograph. So, I mean, the... the, the as someone who who didn't come from here as a philosophical libertarian, I think because um, I think one of the main talking points of Vermin's candidacy is that he really believes he can bring in people that wouldn't have otherwise been here. So I think you seem to be a testament to that. Do you think that people that might hold beliefs similar to yours as a democratic socialist can be brought into at least not necessarily join the party today or tomorrow or even t overtake the whole philosophy, but at least come here to a place where you feel like okay, this is something I can listen to. I can be a part of this conversation. We can all talk respectfully because we know that regardless of what we think, we're not part of that system we're not the democrats and republicans because we know that 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 there's something corrupt and wrong with that right and you know i think uh vermin really speaks to that he really speaks to the average american and um you know how can you how can you argue with a guy like him <laughs> it's very I, I have not been able to despite several interviews thanks a lot i appreciate it <laughs> awesome cool vermin do you have some last words before I head out for the evening. Well, once again, I mean, this is amazing. We're at the convention. I mean, I'm a real candidate. I, I'm in contention. Um, you know, I, I'm making a presentation. It's a presentation that I've making for essentially a year now. Um, that my what I present, what I offer as a candidate to the Libertarian Party itself, yeah, shorts <laughs> leaf of faith. I mean, there's a lot of work, things to overcome, all of these things. Uh, but it is legitimate. It is not inconceivable. And once you admit to yourself that it's not inconceivable, that the premise that, oh, you know, I could bring in lots and lots and lots of young people. And, uh, you know, already people are taking a second look at what I, it's the Libertarian Party. You look at the Twitter feed, you know, it's like search, related searches, Libertarian. And um, 
I believe that I'm perfectly positioned in a position to be able to offer um, the synergy to the Libertarian Party. You're essentially trying to offer your service as a satirist, as an entertainer, to bring attention here and then let us do what we will with the people that you bring in. Uh, maybe not do anything we will, but I mean, <laughs> yes, there's got to be some limits. Thank you for that very succinct uh, uh, take on it. Yes, absolutely. Well, Vermins, always good to see you. I'll be seeing you on the circuit here. And definitely at the National Convention. I think you're going to make it there. All right. Thanks a lot. And uh, good luck. Have a good one. All right, kitty cats. And that wraps up our coverage of the Libertarian Party of California State Convention. I was able to talk to a few presidential candidates. There were several more there, some of which I was able to talk to uh, privately on the side, but not not didn't have time to set up a podcast with others I was, just wasn't able to get in touch with at all. Uh, one candidate that I was able to not really speak to at the convention, but I was able to get a contact with, and I may as well just tell you now, this person is my guest next week. That is the one and only Mr. Lincoln Chafee. He is going to be on this program discussing why he joined the Libertarian Party and why he is running for president, why he wants the hearts, the minds, the votes of the delegates at the Libertarian National Convention this coming Memorial Day weekend. And again, we are going to be there. We are going to be in Austin, Texas at the Libertarian National Convention. And that is thanks to our Patreon supporters. We uh, did pass our goal of $1,500 a month. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. And with that, we're going to be able to have a a videographer. We're going to get professional photography. Uh, We're going to, of course, bring this equipment, get a little more equipment that we need to do this kind of uh, podcasting on the go. We've got a full team there. So we're going to hope to bring you this kind of coverage. And of course, our Patreon supporters always get this stuff first. I mean, the first thing I did uh, after the convention was upload all this audio you heard today, as well as some other stuff we did, the roundtable we did with Michael Bolden uh, and the full post-debate show. I uploaded all of that stuff to Patreon before I did anything else that day. Uh, So I always make sure our Patreon supporters, our Lions of Liberty Pride, get that content first. But uh, I am going to compose similar content at the Libertarian National Convention and, uh, you know, create some podcasts out of it, just like I did today. So that is all. Again, thanks to our support over at Patreon. Again, you can join the Pride for as little as $5. Actually, for as little as $2 a month, you can dip your toe in the water. You can just be a lion cub. All that does is get you access to our secret Facebook group, but that does include some live streams of some of the shows that we do, uh, including the Liberty Draft, which will be returning in just a couple weeks, including live streams of our bonus content whenever we do a conspiracy corner. We've got one uh, brewing on the coronavirus, actually. Uh, Whenever we do one of these, we always are sure to uh, live stream those to our secret Pride Facebook group. So so many reasons to join the pride you can dip your toe in for two bucks a month you can give us five bucks a month for all the bonus audio content you can give us all the way up to a hundred bucks a month in fact you can give us more than that you can give as much as what you, as, as much as you want uh but that's as, as high as we offer rewards up to uh but please do check us out it is the lifeblood of this program we hope you get so much out of not just this program each and every week not just the flagship lions of liberty podcast where i interview leaders in the libertarian movement like the ones you heard from today uh but as well as those of my compatriots in Liberty. Brian, every single Wednesday with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, cursing, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermatt wraps things up every single Friday with his hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system. Some incredibly inspiring guests every single week on Felony Friday. What a a shareable show that is. You can send that to anybody. It doesn't matter what their political affiliation is or what their prior beliefs are. It's hard to be a human and not be touched and moved by the stories 
here on Felony Friday. And if that wasn't all enough this week, as we did last week, although I often forget to mention it because I often forget until the very day of that it's even happening, we do have another, yes, a another Democratic debate. And because we love you and because we appreciate, well, all our fans, we also appreciate the Lions of Liberty Pride that sends us money that funds this show via Patreon at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. We will be once again recapping the next Democratic debate. We live stream those to our Facebook group. They will air as public shows eventually, so we're not going to hold you hostage. Uh, you do get to hear it even if you aren't a member of the Pride. But if you're a member of the Pride, you get to listen to it live and you get to see us on video so isn't that wonderful unless you're not a big fan of our appearance in which case maybe it's not so wonderful but regardless this is all just another reason to make the right decision and hit that subscribe button because it costs you nothing you get each of these shows for free every single week three shows for the price of one here at lions of liberty we're going to keep doing it three days a week for you until the end of time or until one of us croaks whichever one comes first but until then my friends be sure to live love and live free.